0: Well, before we, we even jump into the text today, I just want to start with prayer. So if, if you guys would, would you, would you join with me? God, our Father in heaven, we, we thank you. We praise you for our time together. God, we thank you for the ability to worship in, in song. We thank you for the ability to, to gather together in worship as a body of believer, believers. God, we ask that you would be with our, our hearts and our minds Uh, that we would not just hear your word, but we would apply it to our lives, that you would apply it to our lives by your Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, that you would renew and restore uh, those who are broken, that you would uh, encourage and build up those who are are yours. God, we thank you uh, for this book of Nehemiah. We thank you for how it points us to you, how it points us to our need for you. As we praise you for your word, your word is good. Thank you for giving us the ability to gather and hear it. And so with that, Lord, we lift up this message, this day, for your glory, for your people. Amen. Um, How do you respond to correction or rebuke? Uh, I want to tell you about a foolish time of, of me in my life. Now, this is before I was a Christian. I was in high school. So I want to give you that caveat before I tell you this stupid story. Um, but when I was in high school, um, I had a couple buddies and we would always mess around in the lunchroom as you probably did with your buddies in the lunchroom. And, uh, but when I say we mess around, we were just, we were just idiots. All all of us were idiots. Um, someone wished me happy birthday recently and we got to talking about the stupid stuff that we had done, which made me remember this story, um, that I wanted to share with you. So, um, when we were in the lunchroom, somehow, uh, we used to flip each other's food trays um, because that's what jerky friends do, right? Especially on Taco Tuesday because like you're so pumped that it's Taco Tuesday and you got your whole tray and you had to pay like $1.50 extra to have like a double Taco Tuesday and then so right before they'd like sit down, somebody behind them would be like wham, it's like all over them and the floor and stuff on this particular Taco Tuesday, somebody did that, and we spilled milk all over the floor. And then the principal, who knew me on a first-name basis, um, came up and was like, but out of everybody, right? So like, I was sitting there just dying laughing, and he comes up to me and he's like, John, you're going to have to pick that up. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then he explained to me how you know he saw the whole thing or whatever, and I was part of the situation or whatever, and I was like, I'm not picking it up. And he was like, well, then you can have... Uh, you know, out of school suspension or whatever. We we don't even deal with detention anymore. With me and the and the, uh, you have to understand our relationship. And so uh, I think he was like, this is an excuse to make him not come for a while. So uh, so okay, well then you have to have an out of school suspension. And I was like, okay, well uh, I'll I'll sweep it up, but I'm not putting it away. And he was like, again, you know, we can we can talk to your family if we need to do that or whatever. I was like, all right, fine, I'll sweep it up and I'll put it in the bin, um, but I'm not taking it to the dumpster. He's like, again, you know, we can have this, and I was like, okay, I'll sweep it up, and I'll put it in the bin, and I'll take it to the dumpster, but you can't make me like it. (laughs) And that was the end of our, you know. But I asked the question, so how do you respond to rebuke? How do you respond to correction? You can respond either anger, self-justification, indignation, accusation to the person, or dismissal. You can respond that way. Or you can respond with humility, thoughtfulness, um, contemplation, repentance, and the grace that it requires to do all those things, or to maybe, you know, take that in. I want to read to you some Proverbs. Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 said, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a, a wicked man incurs injury. So it says in verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. There's others. Proverbs 7.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Or Proverbs 27.5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And there's a bigger section that I really want to touch on with you to really nail this point home. And when I ask you, how do you respond to rebuke? How do you respond to correction? Proverbs 1, and then right after that, Proverbs 2. He starts in verse 22, or I'm going to start in verse 22. He starts in verse 1 of Proverbs 1, but I'm going to start in verse 22 where it says, How long, O simple ones, do you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing? Fools hate knowledge. These are questions. How long is this going to happen? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I would pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called... Now I want you to hear, this is the word of God speaking to those of us who decide in our arrogance to respond to um, rebuke and correction in this way. You ready? Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. That's a good sermon, ain't it? Doesn't that just make you want to worship the Lord this morning? But it should because this is his character. But he goes on in chapter 2, right? Aren't you, aren't you glad that the cross bridges this gap? Because I don't know about you, but I've found myself to be a fool a time or two. Proverbs 2 goes on, he says, My son, so we're already changing right there. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, search for it for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, Come knowledge and understanding, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his, his saints. I don't know about you, but I, I need that. I want that. And so, the beginning of this message in Nehemiah, the title of this is, I, I, I need this. And I hope that at the end you can then say with me, I need this for what we're talking about. And so uh, Nehemiah chapter 13 is where we're going to be. But before we go to Nehemiah 13, okay, I've got the scripture on the screen for all the stuff that we're going to cover today because we're going to cover it fairly quickly. If you're a note taker, um, you, can, you can jot down extra verses if you want to. Um, feel free to do that, okay? But I want to put you at ease this morning because we're going to cover some ground. Nehemiah 9.38. We've got to go back there first, and here's why. It says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. Because of all what? If you've been here through Nehemiah, then you already know this. But if you haven't, today's your first Sunday. I'm going to give you the 5,000-foot overview. This is what has happened. Nehemiah has wept over Jerusalem, left to go to Jerusalem to build up the walls because they have failed to do this, received all this persecution while he was there, and then finally got the people to be able to rebuild the wall the whole point of rebuilding the wall was to bring them back into praise and worship of God, and they go over this whole section where they where they review the history of Israel, and they go over all the dirt and the grime and the stuff that they have done apart and away from God, and then that's where this text is written. It says, God has continued to be faithful. We just sang it, right? All my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you've been good. That's what they just covered. They said, Hey, we've done this. We've went after idols. We've uh, oh, we've abused your saints. We've, you know, went after our own hearts. We, we've done all these things. And yet, and yet, and yet, that was, and then they come to the 38. Because of all this, because of your faithfulness in the face of our faithlessness, we're going to make a new firm covenant in writing. And it's sealed, document the names of all our princes, our Levites, and, and our priests. And, and remember, we read over those names and we talked about all those. Now, then I want to fast forward you to, to basically the, the, nutshell if you will of the covenant that they made with God okay so we're going to turn forward then to chapter 10 30 through 32 this is basically the the crux of the whole covenant all right in these in these three verses there's three sections we will not give our daughters to the people of the land to take their daughters for our sons and in the back they're going to flip through and and if the peoples of the land so so one is the intermarriage right we we we're not going to give our daughters or, or take their daughters 31, and if the people of the land bring goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day of the holy day. We will forego the crops on the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So they're going to keep the Sabbath. So intermarriage, keeping the Sabbath. The third and final one here is in verse uh, 32. Uh, we will also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And then the next section from 32 on is describing what they're going to give and how they're going to tithe and when that's going to come in. And so so the three sections are, we are not going to intermarry, we are going to keep the Sabbath, and we are going to maintain the house of our God. Okay. Let's go then to chapter 13, and you can see how that works out. Verse 1 first section, they're gonna, we're going to see that they're going to fail utterly, and they're going to fail utterly in the reverse order. That's so, you know, sorry to steal the thunder of this, but that's what's going to happen. We're going to go through it quickly. On that day, they read from the book of Moses and the hearing of the people, and it was found that no Ammonite, no Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. The guy couldn't even curse. It's a great story. You should look it up. And as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, that's kind of like a footnote to get into what he's actually going to tell us, okay? Are you ready? So that's kind of a little bit of background for what is about to take place. So no Ammonites, no Moabites, because they didn't treat the people of God right. And then here we go. Now, before this, Elisha the priest, the priest, okay? The guy who's supposed to know. was appointed over the chambers of the house of God. And who is related to Tobiah. Does that name ring any bells for anybody here this morning? It should. Yeah, boo, right? Yeah, that would be the sound effect. Thank you. Tobiah prepared Tobiah a large chamber. Where? In the house of our God. And they laid up provision. This is, this is what it was supposed to be for. It's supposed to be a large chamber where they, per, where they previously had put grain offerings, frankincense, vessels, tithes of grain, wine, oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the contributors for the priests. So this guy's living in a warehouse. This guy's one house is a warehouse. The warehouse is situated in the house of God for the storage of the provision of the work of the house of God. I want to just remind you, if you're, if you're brand new this morning or if you've forgotten, Nehemiah 2.10 says, I don't know, is that on there? Oh, Nehemiah 2.10, but when Sandabalt and the Hor- uh, Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, so they, this high priest is intermarrying already, and not only that, but Tobiah is an Ammonite, so he's, this is a double whammy. He's, he's not supposed to be in the house of God at all, and this dude is living there, and not only is he living there, but he's living in the storehouse that should have went to the Levitical uh, priest and, and all those people who are supposed to be doing those things. And it says that when these two, these are the villains of the text, right? Sandoval and Tobiah. When they had heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They weren't even friends of Israel. They hated Israel. Verse 19 of chapter 2. But when Sandoval the Horite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servants of Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us, despised us, and they said, what is this thing that they are doing? You're building against the king? or rebelling? Nehemiah 4, 7. I know I'm going through it fast. But when Sandoval and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites... Ashdodites, put your, put your mental uh, finger on that and, and keep that there. That's going to show up here in just a little bit. Heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being closed. They were very angry. Nehemiah 6.19, last one, before we get back to today's text. Also, they spoke this good deeds in my presence are reported to me words from him. Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. So you've got to be asking your question, What the heck, Israel? Why is Tobiah here? That's a good question. Let's read verse 6. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. Ah. Any of you have siblings that uh, when mom and dad were gone and big brother or big sister was watching the house, something got busted or broken or you did something that you shouldn't have done and it only happened because mom and dad wasn't there and then when mom and God when Mom and God, maybe that was a Freudian slip. When mom and dad got home, then it was reported to them what had happened. That's what's happening here. So the 32nd year, he went away to Babylon. We're going to skim now. Um, he asked leave to come back. He came back to Jerusalem, as you can see there. Uh, he figured out what they had done. He threw them out of the chamber. And so he he came back and he tossed them out. He tossed his stuff out. Uh, this is this is what you see on on uh, on you know comedies when the, the, the when, when the girlfriend's throwing the boyfriend out of the out of the thing. And from the second story, there's underpants and T-shirts and all this it's in my mind. You know, so they're they're just tossing everything out into the street, out of the house of God. He he talks to those who are supposed to be over this. He sets up somebody who's supposed to be in authority, verse 11. So I can confronted officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? So he goes and rebukes. These people who should have known better. He brings a correction. He brings a rebuke. It says he appointed people to be treasurers over this so they could do this. And then at the end, in verse 14, for you guys in the back, so you can follow along. You're good. He says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. So he comes and he brings a rebuke, and then he brings that rebuke that he's given to the people directly back to God. Okay? So in reverse order, if you're following from chapter 10, what comes next in reverse order? Do you remember? Sabbath. That's okay. I wrote it so you wouldn't have to. It's the Sabbath. So Nehemiah 13, 15 through 25. In those days, he starts off again, new section. Judah, the people treading on the wine press for the Sabbath. Okay? And he asks them basically, what's happening here? Not only are they doing that, they're bringing in goods on the backs of donkeys. These are fully loaded semis backing up to the wall. The Tyrenians, right? These are are Gentile people. Do you remember what we talked about beforehand? What's the whole purpose of Jerusalem and this holy city? What's the whole purpose? To separate, to be the land that is designated of the people of God so that the rest of the people who did not know God could see their good works and point to their God in heaven, just like us, right? A city on a hill. These Tyrenians, they, they came in, they brought through the... They brought the fish. Do you know, that's interesting. They probably came through the fish gate. There's actually a gate for them to bring these things in. My guess is the fish gate probably situated closest to the sea. Would make sense. But they're doing those, all this on the Sabbath. Nehemiah 10.31 And if the peoples of the land bring goods on any given Sabbath to Del, uh, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath. This is what they said. They said this. Nehemiah didn't make them. They volunteered this. And as we continue in 17, So I confronted the nobles of Judah. He rebuked them. He says what is this evil thing that you're doing to profane the sabbath i love this part jump down to to verse 20 and so he's he's correcting all this right he's he's telling them that they can't do this anymore then the merchants <laughs> i love this uh, then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds whereas lodged outside jerusalem once or twice why only once or twice because nehemiah don't play all right but i warned them And I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Isn't that a nice way? That's a nice way to say, like, it's about to go down. And and, and then he says, from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. That's what he said. And then he again, he commands Levites that they should purify themselves that they should come and guard the gates so they're purifying themselves so that they can actually perform the Sabbath. And he says, again, in the end, remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. So again, he's, he's bringing a rebuke and then he's taking that rebuke to God. Lastly, remember, so if you remember, I told you there was a first and there was a second and there was a third. Do you remember the first, which is now the third? It's intermarriage. Now, this is not just because they don't like... Different people, it's because of what you're about to see in the text. It's because of the spiritual degradation of the people that was going to take place that's inevitable. So, Nehemiah 13, 23 through 29, in those days, again, so you can tell it's a different heading, right? So he's naming these things off and he's taking them in reverse order. I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod. Do you see it there? Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. These are the same people that when he came the first time, they didn't want him setting up in the anyway. These are the same people that were actively opposed to the rebuilding of the wall. These people wanted to subjugate the Israelites. Do you see? And they're marrying them. And I want you to further this. 24. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. I wasn't even going to say this until the Holy Spirit just gave it to me. Let me ask you a question, parents. Do your children only speak the language of the world, or do they know Christianese? Because here, half of these children did not speak the language of the Word of God. When the Word of God was read, they couldn't pay attention even if they wanted to. Nehemiah 4.7 But when Sandoval and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Amorites and the Ashdodites heard the repairing of the walls, they were angry. And so verse 25, back in 13. So I confronted them. He brings a rebuke. And he cursed them. And I love this again. I cursed them and I beat them and I pulled out their hair. <laughs> See, you laugh, but, I, but I'm going to tie this in for an application for us in just a little bit. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. And then then he ties this to wisdom, okay? He talks about Solomon, the king of Israel. And and basically, what he's saying is this Look, look, guys, and not just you guys, but look, guys, the text, like, look, guys, here's the deal Solomon who was the king of Israel. Solomon, who prayed for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. Solomon, who everybody agrees there has never been a more wise king ever on the history of the earth other than when King Jesus walked the earth. Okay, So never been a wiser king. King Solomon, he takes a bunch of wives from other countries and it was his downfall. And so what Nehemiah is saying, do you not learn from history? Do you, I, I mean, who among us is going to say, but I'm a little better than Solomon. right? Like That's his whole point. And so if that's the case for Solomon, it's going to be the case for you, and it's already proved out by half of your kids not even being able to speak this language. And that's why he beats on them and pulls out their hair and makes them take this oath. And then he also sees, if that's not bad enough, verse 28, one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elishab, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sandovald. Are you, are you kidding me right now, Israel? And therefore I chased him from me. Yeah, because he just saw you beat all these other guys up. And then verse 29, just as he has done every other time, he brings a rebuke, a righteous rebuke from the Lord. And then what does he do? Verse 29, he brings it to prayer. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priests and Levites. And so the end of the chapter, this is, this is how the chapter ends, and this is where the intro to the sermon begins, or, 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 I guess. Nehemiah thirteen thirty through 31, if you can put it up on there. So out of chapter 30, this is what he says he's done, right? He has cleansed them from everything foreign. He has established the duties of the priests and the Levites, and he has provided for the wood offering to the appointments and the first fruits. And he says, so therefore, remember me, O oh my God, for good. You know, in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, which is not up there, I'm sure. uh, Jeremiah talks about this new covenant that's about to be made with the people of Israel. He says this new covenant is going to be made and the law is going to be written on their hearts. They're going to know it intrinsically. So, do you see Christ in the text of Nehemiah? I hope that you do. If you don't, I'm going to give you, uh, uh, again, I'm going to give you the 5,000-foot view. Nehemiah is what the Bible would refer to, or I guess theologians would refer to as a pre-Christ figure. So he he, he models some of the attributes of Christ before Christ has come, Christ being the fullness of the representation of that, right? So let's kind of run through what I saw, which you see, uh, and I'm just going to remind you of. So first and foremostly, uh, Nehemiah is vigilant about the people of God. And he cares so much that he is asking about the people of God. He, he wants to know about the people of God. He hears and he weeps over the people and over the city, just like Jesus did. In his triumphal entry, if you remember, it says he wept over Israel, thinking, how often have I wanted to gather you in as, as hens gather their chicks, and yet you have not allowed that to be the case. In fact, you kill the prophets, right? And so Nehemiah is weeping over the people of God and over the city of Israel. The next similarity we see is that Nehemiah leaves a kingdom in a position of power and authority and, and regality. He leaves that position to then come and serve his people. And while he's there, he experiences opposition while with them. In fact, he often, it seems, receives abandonment as people are choosing Tobiah and Sandoval and these others instead of him. Now, he does experience victory in the face of this opposition, just as Christ does. And then we also see that just as Christ, he, he seems to, at least throughout the text, he cares more about the hearts of the people of Israel than he does about the physicality of Israel. Yeah, he wants the wall built, but he wants the wall built so that they're secure inside so that the things of God can continue. And remember, that's what he cares about. And we see that in this chapter too. He cares about the hearts of the people. And then we also see that he leaves his people to go back to that kingdom for a period of time. And we see that while he's gone, that which he established for good And for God is abused and neglected or minimized by those he came to help. And then we see eventually he comes again. And he casts out those who were supposed to be in. And then the book of Nehemiah ends. And so you see the pre-Christ figure in the book of Nehemiah throughout Nehemiah. You also see, if you want to widen out, you see all of biblical history in the book of Nehemiah you see a God who cares for a people even though those people don't deserve it and that God continues to show mercy upon mercy and continues to send someone to rebuke and correct and exhort and then there's a period of change, there's a period of revival, there's a period of growth, there's a period of serving the Lord and then that person goes away for whatever reason, whether they die or or they kill him or, or whatever and then he raises up another new person to bring them back because they have strayed and if we're really, really honest this morning, you not only See a pre-Christ figure in Nehemiah, which I believe that you do. You have to, from what I've just said. I believe that you see the whole biblical history in Israel in the book of Nehemiah, but if we're really, really honest, I think somewhat we see ourselves in the people of Israel this morning. And so here's the points. Remember the title of this is I Need This, but I, I want to say, before we get to the title, Restoration. Restoration is only possible when it comes to repentance. You have to have the two. So the points, going back, are this. He cleansed. Nehemiah cleansed the temple, the priests, and the people, and we need Jesus to cleanse our hearts. You see in 4, 5, and 8 that he cleansed the temple. He threw all of the old things out of there. He threw the person who wasn't supposed to be out of there. And he put the things in that were supposed to be there. You know, the Bible says that you are now the temple. That the Holy Spirit is supposed to live within your own hearts. He also cleansed the priests. Those who were supposed to be fulfilling their duties to God. Those who were supposed to be serving the Lord. Those who were supposed to be the ones who were the mouthpiece of God to the people. Did you know on the New Testament he says that you are now priests? He cleanses the people. One out of every ten come into the city, right? And he gives them jobs and positions. First Peter 2, 9-10 through 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So just as Nehemiah cleansed the temple, the priests and the people, we need Jesus to cleanse our hearts. Secondly, you see in the text there that he established. So Nehemiah established the Sabbath, he established the storehouse, he established the standards, and we need Jesus to establish us in his kingdom. You see he established the Sabbath. We see that 15 through 22. I made that very clear. The text made that very clear. Well, Did you know in scripture it talks about the Sabbath as being a day for rest? Remember uh, God said that you should keep the Sabbath because the Sabbath, God rested on the Sabbath and he wants that day to be for you. He wants that day to be a day that is wholly dedicated to him. Why? So that we can understand and experience that Jesus is our rest. He establishes a storehouse for the provision of of those who would be his people doing his work. And Jesus told us he has a storehouse too, and we ought to be storing our treasure there. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So store your treasures up in heaven. And he gave him standards. You know, Jesus gives us standards too. They're encapsulated in the best thing that he's said, as far as commandment wise, he says, love your neighbor and love God. I have those in the wrong order. Love God first and foremost. And then because of that, you can also love your neighbor too, right? That's his standard. So Nehemiah established the Sabbath, the storehouse, and the standards, but we need Jesus to establish us in his kingdom. And then lastly, as you see on your screen there, if you're a note taker he provided. Nehemiah provided the perspective, the power, and the provisions, and we need Jesus to provide our righteousness. He gave him a perspective. Nehemiah came and he taught with authority. Nehemiah came and he told him this is God's word. It's right there in the scroll in black and white. We ought to follow it. That's what it says. God's word says this. We ought to do that. And we ought to do that wholeheartedly because it's, he's God and he deserves that. And we're his people and he's shown us mercy, right? Chapter 9, verse 38, I think it was, because of all this, Lord, we're going to make a new covenant with you. And so he came with a perspective and so did Jesus. When Jesus came, Jesus taught with authority, didn't he? And Jesus said, you have heard it was said, but I say to you, Because he was taking them deeper into the conditions of their own hearts. Jesus also, as Nehemiah did, came with power, both physical and positional. How do we know Nehemiah had physical power? Because he beat people and pulled out their hair. (laughs) And he told people from the gate, if you come again, I'm going to beat you and pull out your hair. (laughs) And so he had physical power. We see that in Jesus who performed miracles for people. We also see positional power which is maybe what we think of more when we think of Jesus. But that's the positional power that Nehemiah had too, wasn't it? He was the governor of the land. He was told by King Artaxerxes to go and do this project. He was told to lead Israel. He was a man chosen by God. So even if King Artaxerxes hadn't sent him, King Jesus, pre-incarnate, did. And we see that Jesus has authority. He was the deity. He was son of God, a member of the Trinity. And lastly, And hopefully the most obvious, Nehemiah provided the provisions for them to do the work. For them to honor God. He provided literal wood. First fruits. But his provision absolutely pales in comparison to Jesus. We need Jesus to provide our righteousness. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. We are like Israel in this text. And, and so, uh, again, as we move to completion, restoration is the title of this whole sermon series, right? Nehemiah comes and restores Israel to being the effective people of God. And that's why the book ends with that way. Nehemiah put it all into place. The book ends there for Nehemiah. But that's not always how the book ends for Israel, right? They're, they're going to screw up again. I, I, can, almost, I can almost guarantee you. And so, restoration only happens when there's repentance. Restoration requires repentance. That's why I titled this, I Need This. Because again, I want to ask you, how do you respond to correction or to rebuke? Because I think this text teaches us that we're like Israel. We need Jesus We need him to cleanse us. We need him to establish us. We need him to provide for us his righteousness. But then there's two other ways we should and we can apply this, and I hope that we do. The first is like this. In Christ, in Christ, we must be like Nehemiah. We need to react radically against sin for righteous sake in calling ourselves and others to repentance. Please don't pull my hair though. (laughs) But joking aside, the way we should apply a text like this is in Christ we need to be like Nehemiah. We need to see sin seriously and deal with it radically. And then secondly, however, because we are not Christ and because we are not Nehemiah, because I'm me and you're you. Because we are who we are and we're still sinners, already perfected, yet not yet experiencing that in this life. However, because we are not in Christ, we must also be willing to accept rebuke in humble, meditative, graceful consideration. That's why I said at the beginning, I need this, and I hope at this point you too can say, I need this. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would help us to be a people after your own heart. They would not be satisfied with halfway or good enough, but rather we would be like Nehemiah. By the spirit that you have given to us as redeemed people under your name, by your blood, God, help us to rightly correct one another, lovingly rebuke each other to hold one another accountable to your standards so that restoration in our own hearts, in our own lives might take place. Because restoration only happens when it's accompanied with repentance. That's been illustrated for us in the book of Nehemiah. It's been illustrated for us in the cross of Christ. It's been illustrated for us in our own lives if we're willing to look and see. So help us, Lord, to apply this to our own lives as we seek to be radically rebuking of one another that there could be restoration and repentance for your righteousness it's in your name we pray amen let's stand and sing